Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying healthy, I hope you're staying safe. Today I have two Zoom interviews that I wanna share with you with two actors that will give us some perspective on what's happening inside the entertainment business. A little bit later on, we'll meet Laura Vandervoort. She is the star of many things, including Smallville, V, Bitten, and most recently, on VOD right now, you can see her in the remake of David Cronenberg's 1977 film, Rabid. First up though, Christian Brune. For five seasons, he played Donnie Hendricks on Orphan Black. You can see him currently on the show Carter, starring opposite Jerry O'Connell. And I spoke with him from his home in Los Angeles. So when you look out the window, uh, what are you seeing? Are people socially distancing? Are, are things uh, the way we hear about them on the news? What's your observation? When I look out the window, I see urban nature at its finest. Um, I'm in my kitchen right now, and in my apartment building, it's a classic, almost like Melrose Place, like two-story little courtyard with green in the middle, and I'm, uh, my kitchen looks into the back alley, and uh, which is not the best view, but I have a really beautiful green tree, uh, bright green tree outside my window. And since there is so much less activity out there right now, um, uh, just before I got on the, the call with you, there was a very loud crow just making the craziest sounds that I hadn't heard before. And like, I'm like starving for nature at this point. So I was watching that crow thinking, I don't want to shoo you away for this interview. <laughs> You're so lovely, but please go away. But even before that, on the weekend, a... Cooper's hawk had caught a pigeon and on the same branch just that I could look at out my window was eating this pigeon. It was a Cooper's hawk eating a pigeon and it was so visceral and so raw and so it was like watching a nature show. I couldn't stop watching it. I was like nature's coming back in a major way around here. It's, it's really cool to be honest. My, my brother told me that he found a flying squirrel in a tree. Uh, just outside his house. So I'm like, nature's taking over again. Now that we're not out there all the time, yeah. uh, nature is slowly reasserting itself. Totally. A buddy in my neighborhood saw a pack of coyotes just running down the street, which, uh, you know, we, I, I live near Griffith Park in Los Angeles, which has, you know, tons of coyotes, and you have to be very careful with your dog if you have one. Um, but uh, they're, you know, they're coming back into the neighborhoods and uh, exploring because there's no traffic here. People are paying attention. Well, Californians uh, adopted it early, which is good. Well, that's almost post-apocalyptic, though. When you start to see coyote in, in, in residential yeah. neighborhoods, that's like yeah. something out of like the Omega Man or something. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, totally. Um, so uh, how are you making out? I mean, are you staying inside? You said Californians yeah. got on it early. Uh, were you one of them? Were you one of them that just said, yeah. I, yeah, I got in on it about a week before Mayor Garcetti in Los Angeles told everybody that we're shutting it down for a month. So, so I had a, a bit of a weak head start with a lot of people as well. We're doing the same thing. Traffic was already dying down. So by the time the mayor came out and really locked things down and also Governor Newsom in California, uh, both of which I think have been doing a fantastic job um, getting information out and shutting things down the right way. Um, uh, you know, I saw the signs coming and um, saw what was going on in New York and around the world. I mean, we, we in North America, we had Italy really to, to watch 
and and uh, we were um, sadly very fortunate to to have that as a um, sort of there what they were two weeks ahead of us or three weeks ahead of us. So the smart ones and the smart states and the smart people were the ones who looked at that and thought, okay, we got to make sure this doesn't happen and, and took it seriously. And a lot of people didn't, and a lot of people still aren't mm -hmm. like Michigan people rallying in the streets to, to stop the stay at home order. I'm like in two weeks, this, you got, got a half of you were going to be very sick. This is crazy. This virus it's it, it's not political it's not a political virus it's a virus it doesn't care about any of that stuff so you got to listen to the scientists I, I do and it's funny i interviewed a guy called uh, tim caulfield the other day and he's a law professor uh he's got a list of credentials this long i mean i can't even go through them all but he writes books as well uh, about pseudoscience and and disproving right. pseudoscience and he says so one of the things that he hopes that comes out about this whole thing is that people finally uh, reverse this trend that we've been seeing in the last number of years where like, oh, who cares what the experts have to say? A bunch of eggheads. We don't trust science because I know better because I looked it up online. And yeah. I think that we might finally be able to break through uh, that and move to a, a place where we become a fact-based society oh, once again. I hope so. That would be fantastic. I mean, I really think we could use that more, whether it's listening to scientists about climate change or health. I mean, it's, it's really like, just look at the science people. It's fact-based. You're listening to my interview with orphan black star, Christian Broom. Now you're an actor, you're in Los Angeles, home of probably 50% of the world's actors. Uh, are, you <laughs> are you talking to people? What's the vibe out there? The industry has completely shut down. Yeah. Uh, what's going on in your community, in your acting community? Well, I mean, the industry is still going in a few little pockets. I find I have a bunch of writer friends who still have writer's rooms that are going on, uh, who are ramping up um, anyways for summer production. So I feel like writers, if they're lucky enough to be in a writing room, still have something to do in a job. To but they're writing them. remotely, though, aren't they? Yeah, they're writing remotely. They're all writing from home, which, which is one of the lucky things for writers. And, and certain post-production can be done remotely, an editor can you know, work from home, they have the right equipment, obviously. So those pockets are kind of still going, but in terms of acting and a lot of the crews um, and certainly production offices, those are, those are on pause, if not dead in some cases. So um, I've been in touch with a lot of my friends. Um, we're all pulling our hair out, going a little stir crazy. We're a little bit more accustomed to long periods of time without work I mean, that's just the nature of the job and so um uh you know a lot of my actor friends said well you know i'm accustomed to or i'm accustomed to staying at home all day and and trying to you know stay busy so so in that way um you know I'm, i was used to it but at the same time we're social animals at the same you know we, we want to be out there working with other people and uh um so i found ways to do that through zoom and through facetime and google meetup or whatever it's called um so a lot of friends of mine we've just been doing play readings going back and 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 finding plays that we all love and then sending you know digital copies so that we can read over zoom and we just kind of cast it and and uh you know read the play but also loosely go through it you know between scenes have a chat or catch up a little bit and then hey let's read another scene and it's the most 
fun, relaxing way to keep your kind of actor brain sharp in a little way. Um, I've also been doing a weekly Shakespeare reading um, on Zoom with a cast, so we'll rehearse uh, like just a one hour shortened version of a play um, and we'll rehearse on a Tuesday and then read Thursday nights or Thursday evenings for a public Zoom call uh, with a group here in Los Angeles. Uh, our director, Richard Kenyon, is, you know, a, a, a Shakespeare uh, nut. And so he has all these kind of shortened versions of plays that we're just enjoying reading. And I, I haven't gotten into Shakespeare in almost a decade. I haven't really done any Shakespeare in, in live um, until this year. So it's, it's really nice to just find my way back to the classics. Well, and do you think that this is something that moving forward might be uh, something that continues after all of this? Do you think that it's possible that play readings could happen online? You could have the best actors from every city in the country all zoom in at, at one time. Because I think if we're, if we're going to do this, if we're going to stay home, we have to learn something from it. We have to take something away from it and maybe find some new cool stuff that we haven't thought about before. Absolutely. I think that would be wonderful. I mean, I, I would tune into a broadcast, broadcast that has, you know, fantastic actors from around the world doing a reading. I mean, that would be just amazing. Uh, I don't need to see a live version of Grease on stage. I'd rather see that. Um, actors in their homes reading from a script. And, and it doesn't have to be so, it doesn't have to be trying to replicate theater. A reading of a play is not theater. Theater is visual as well as audio. And when you're reading, you're still having the audience do so much of the work. And it's hard listening to a play, um, but it's a different beast altogether and I would love to see more of it. Sadly, I also think that human beings are very good at getting complacent about things or as soon as it's over, just being so joyed to get back to life that we'll forget a lot of some of the innovative ways that we have um, kept up with each other and also just kept ourselves busy. Um, but I do hope that, you know, I hope personally that I come out of this, um, A, reading more plays because it's been really nice to go back and, and read the classics, but also I hope I continue to cook as much as I've been cooking and also right. doing dishes as much as I've been doing. But, you know, I've discovered baking like everybody else, but, you know, I've always been scared of it. And I'm like, well, time to experiment. So I, I, I'm trying all this stuff out that I've been meaning to and haven't been doing. And I hope I definitely keep doing that. And I hope other people do too. You talk about baking. You cannot buy vanilla extract or yeast anywhere in Toronto. Anywhere. You can't get here either. I've, I've looked on Amazon. I've looked everywhere. Um, I'm, I might have to make my own sourdough starter just to have something that I can use as yeast. Uh, apparently, no. If you had asked me a month ago what that means, I wouldn't know. Now, right. because of Facebook, I know all about it. And apparently it smells a little bit, but it's not that hard to do. Yeah, it's got to have that sour, funky smell to it. But I love sourdough. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous trying to make sourdough, but uh, certainly I want to start with just basic bread and I need that damn yeast. I can't find it anywhere. When we come back, we'll continue my interview with Orphan Black Star Christian Brune. From his home in Los Angeles, we talked about what kind of shows and movies he expected would be the result of this pandemic. I'm being pitched movies for review 
And this isn't like just this week, like two weeks ago, uh, when I had been self-isolated, I think at that point for about three weeks, maybe three and a half, four weeks, um, I started getting pitched these movies about there's five people on an elevator. One of them has a cough. And we've already shot it, and uh, you know it, it's a it's a horror movie, or uh, there's uh, all kinds of zombie movies, the coronavirus zombie movies uh, yeah. that I've been pitched. So yeah, there's a lot of that. I think we're in store for a lot of that. I hope that the level is pushed up a little bit from that. Yes, I I would rather see writing that focuses on some of the themes that we're experiencing as as human beings in this in this weird time, and less so the hitting the nail on the head of the actual literal pandemic or you know someone coughing i want to know i mean we can all relate to isolation we can all relate to loneliness um these are themes that have carried us through so many amazing films in the past and plays and stories um you know it's further exploration of that and if anything it gives us as artists and human beings just a better understanding of our own loneliness or isolation or you know whatever it may be that you're experiencing anxieties um, you know, cause we're all having good days and bad days. I have days where I'm so anxious and, and, you know, I have to like meditate or do things like work really hard to just calm myself down. And then there's other days where I feel fantastic. It's, it's because we're going through an unprecedented time. And these are the themes that I want to see people deal with, with their writing and with their art and less so the, you know, literal, um, aspects of this strange time. When all this is said and done, is there another... Uh, season of Carter coming or avocado toast what's happening with the shows you're you're on a ton of stuff you're working yeah. I mean I've, I've been very lucky um, it's it's all in the air mm. it really is all up in the air Richard um, I I don't know if Carter's gonna get a third season uh, if we were it would have been uh, filming this summer and that would certainly not happen um, we've switched uh, channels that were within the U.S., and I think that announcement's coming soon, so I won't spoil where it's going. But it is going to be on uh, a very watchable place for people in the United States, which is great and, and gives me hope that perhaps uh, we can get a third season out of it. But even then, it wouldn't be until next summer. And the reality of it is, you know, I, you got to find work before then. So um, Avocado Toast is a digital series that's going to be coming out. Uh, actually, it's also on Out TV, but uh, it'll be coming out, I believe, in May. Uh, but certainly, everybody is trying to roll out their content on a digital platform so that people can easily watch it. And um, you know, everybody's looking. All the the providers are looking for content right now, and there's only so much of it out there. So the stuff that's being finished right now is going to get more accessible to people very soon. But in terms of um, finding uh, another season of it, I mean, that all comes down to A, if people like it, and B, when production reopens. I mean, there's so many things that the film industry has to fix before we can open. Um, things that have been done in the past that I think were really, you know, just waiting for a disaster to happen. The way, even on set, how we do craft services and, and how, you know, you have to feed a hundred people because we're working all day cast and crew and you know you have food laid out on a table in the corner of a dusty studio and people putting their hands right, into, right. you know oh i'm gonna grab some almonds instead of using the spoon to like get their almonds or the little cup and uh you know people have been calling out how nasty film sets are be or how gross the 
the bathrooms are, you know, in some of these studios. I've worked in some studios that were just so dusty that everybody was getting sinus infections or colds. And as soon as a cold hits on set, boom, 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 it spreads like wildfire. You're listening to my interview with Orphan Black and Carter star, Christian Broom. Also, as an actor, if you're doing scenes where you have to kiss another actor, I mean, you can't fake it. It's, you know, and if someone is sick, what do you do? And uh, there's so many things that Hollywood has to look at on a macro level before they can even go through how we're going to reopen on a major level. Um, and also the whole notion of we could open up, uh, we'll have all these scripts and shows and things ready to go, but we still have to cast. So I've had done, I, I have done a few auditions during this time, but it's for work that is slated for like end of June, which they figure is safe. But those productions could open up and within two months have to shut back down again. And who knows how they're going to get insurance for those productions if insurance companies are like, whoa, no, we don't know what's going to go on. So you know, the next production could be very different until we get a vaccine for this thing, which is like a year down the road, yeah, which is uh, scary. Uh, apparently there was something that I didn't know was that common, but people get on film sets and things, they get virus uh, insurance. Right, yeah. That apparently uh, they're saying will just be impossible to get. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's really, we don't know. We're still in this limbo period of we don't know what the hell is going on. We don't know when or how or in what manner the world will go back to normal. And uh, until then, I can guarantee you no production company is going to take the risk to open up a production until we are in a very solid, in the clear. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to have so many scripts ready to go that as soon as things are lifted, it's going to be a sprint. And, you know, I'm hoping we're, there's going to be a lot of casting for a lot of people and a lot of jobs for a lot of crew that are hurting right now. Um, it's... It's scary to think that this could go on for a year and really affect production that long. How would Johnny Hendricks from Orphan Black cope with the lockdown, cope, cope with self-isolation? He would have been one of those panic buyers at Costco with like <laughs> a cart full of toilet paper and hand sanitizer and just cans of chunky soup and chips. And he would not fare well. Allison would do a great job. She would, she would be very well organized. She would have lots of masks. She'd be... She would be making so many masks right now in the craft room and like donating them to the community center. And Donnie would just be like freaking out, drinking beers, watching golf in the basement, just like totally in fear of the apocalypse. He would be falling apart. That was my interview with Christian Brune. Why not binge watch either Orphan Black or Carter to help pass the time during the pandemic? Now let's meet Laura Vandervoort. You know her as Supergirl in the CW drama Smallville. Maybe you're familiar with her as Lisa in the ABC science fiction series V. Perhaps you loved her on Space in the show Bitten. Right now you can catch her in Rabid right now on VOD. We talked about everything from having an online session with a dog psychic to making a remake of a David Cronenberg classic. We started by finding out how she's doing during the pandemic. Uh, probably the same as everyone. Every day is different. Um, some days it's great. I'm doing things that I've been wanting to do for a while, like painting and reading and all of that. And some days aren't, aren't so great. Um, I'm actually uh, staying with my sister 
right now watching her kids because her and her husband still have to work. So I'm now like a full-time teacher nanny and that's, let's call it that fun and yeah. a learning curve for sure. Yeah. How's homeschooling going? Do, are, do the kids understand what's um, happening? Are they old enough to understand? Yeah, they're three and six. And, um, you know, my sister and her husband are very much into telling them what's going on and, and asking how they're feeling every day just to check in with them. I mean, they definitely, you know, like every kid miss going to the park and playing with their friends in school. Um, but the six-year-old is very smart. So he's doing a grade higher than he actually is. And, and so we're working on that and, and the two-year-old just like colors. So that's her homework and ABC mouse and working on the alphabet. Yeah. That's not too tough. Uh, and you're passing the time by reading, doing all that kind of stuff. Is there something that you miss? Is there a thing, if you could pinpoint it, that you wish you'd, you could run out of the house and do right now? Oh, uh, gosh. Um, probably just going to like, my stress reliever has always been just going to like a, a workout class. Um, so, you know, going back to my spin class or um, being able to go with my friends to an escape room because I love doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of a nerd. So, yeah, just like social things. Um, I'm, I'm an introvert, so uh, quarantine isn't that difficult for me. It's pretty close to my regular life. Um, but, I, I mean, I do miss just being able to go out and have lunch with friends. And you did something unusual today. So just as we were getting set up and started there, uh, your very cute dog was sitting on your lap. Now she's one away. I'm not sure where she is. But you, you took her to a dog psychic today. Is that right? Well, yes. We FaceTimed, obviously. We time, go yeah. to this woman. But um, yeah, my sister and I heard of her and then she's in Toronto. Um, and she did a reading for our two dogs who were alive and, and my sister's dog who had passed. And I mean, I was a skeptic and I'm still kind of a skeptic, but she hit on some, some pretty interesting things. There's no way she could have known about. And uh, my sister was crying within a minute because <laughs> her, her dog that had passed away came through right away and said, you know, I want you to know that all of my limbs are working now and I'm running around. And then her oh dog oh had lost God the ability to to walk at the end so there's no way she would have known that yeah it's just cool stuff like that yeah that is heart-wrenching <laughs> yeah oh. i was getting emotional for her um but i'm gonna do another session so i can talk to my dog frankie a little more she didn't come in till the end so. right and and what kind of i mean you, you don't have to get into real specifics here but are you just asking are you happy are you feeling anxiety what 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 kind of things are you hoping to get out of that uh, with the with the dogs, yeah. For myself, my dogs are rescue, so I actually just wanted to know what her previous life was like, why she was on the street, what happened to her, um, if she's accepting of me as her owner, um, if she's okay with the transitions that we've recently had in our living situations. Like you know, I sound like a crazy dog person, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, she's my baby. So even if it's it is what it is. If it, it, you know, it helped my sister heal today. She asked the dog if it was okay that they made the choice, you know, that she was at the end of her life to take her to the vet and the dog confirmed, you know, it just made my sister feel better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think any kind of comfort in these strange kind of 
times, I think any kind of comfort that you can take uh, is, is worthwhile. Oh, for sure. Sure. You're listening to my interview with Rabid star Laura Vandervoort. I've been reading about you. The first role uh, that you ever did was on a show called Goosebumps. So yeah. Rabid and a lot of the work that you've done between Goosebumps and that, there seems to be a, a bit of a straight line to it. You, you uh, have made a lot of horror films and a lot of uh, spooky material. Um, are you a fan? I mean, tonight when you... Uh, hunker down for the night. Will you throw a, a horror movie in the the DVD player? Um, it, it I am a, a horror movie fan, thriller. I grew up loving Hitchcock. Um, so like the 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 gory horror isn't my thing. Um, I watch a lot of Dateline. Uh, so yeah. there's something quite off for me. I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. There is a bit of a parallel. I mean, I did Goosebumps. Are you afraid of the dark? Jigsaw, Rabid, like there's, there's been a lot of that. Even my sci-fi work has very dark elements to it. And I think I'm drawn to that. I don't necessarily go out there and, and look for it, but that's just what I'm drawn to. Um, but yeah, I usually, I usually tend to lean towards that when I want to choose something to watch as well. Well, and I also thought that there was an interesting uh, uh, precursor to Rabid. So in Rabid, uh, you play a woman who goes under uh, this, this experimental stem cell treatment and emerges uh, healed and, and uh, more confident and you know life seems like it's looking up, but you also wake up with a, a bloodthirst that, that can't be quenched very easily. Right. And so I thought back and I, I looked it up because uh, your character Lisa in V yeah. actually ate someone as well, right? So there's, yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a line there that you can draw as well. Yes, uh, my character Lisa in V, which was a show on ABC with Scott Wolf, Elizabeth Mitchell, Marina Baccarin, like an amazing cast, Morris Chestnut. Um, at the end of our season, before we knew we weren't returning, my character, or my evil twin, <laughs> if you want to call it, yeah. ate my boyfriend. So yeah, <laughs> it seems to do a lot of damage wherever I go. Yeah. There's always blood on set on my projects. Yeah, that's right. And <laughs> is it uncomfortable? Uh, I, I was on a set once. I was telling uh, Michael Gray Eyes the other day. He's in uh, Blood Quantum right now. And as you can mm -hmm. imagine, there are buckets of blood in that thing. And I was telling him that once I was on a, a set of a zombie movie and everyone was covered in blood. It was in the summer and the flies were terrible. They were just attracted to this goopy, silly stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Michael was similar? also in Michael was also in V Wars. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Um, so, sorry. What was the question? If it's similar, it, it, is it awful to work with? Uh, it's not pleasant. Um, you know, I did a show called Bitten. We had for three seasons, and uh, there was an episode where I have a waking, you know, a nightmare where I'm drenched in blood. And, and uh, so on set, when we were preparing for that scene, they just put a tarp on the ground and had me stand on it and just <laughs> doused me. And that was fine. It was cold. And, and, and then I'm sitting in like a, almost a Game of Thrones chair. Um, and when we were done shooting, my arms were stuck to the leather and like the skin was peeling off. And so, yeah, long story short, it's not pleasant, especially when you have to drink it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, do you keep that in mind after that experience? I don't know that I'd ever sign up for anything again. I'm happy to that. do. Like, uh, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy to just work and, and 
like I said, it's what I'm drawn to. And even with prosthetics, no pain, no gain. Um, if it helps the character, it helps the show. I'm, I'm all for it. You're listening to my interview with Rabbit star Laura Vandervoort. In the film, she plays a woman who has a terrible accident, is terribly hurt. When they take off the bandages, though, I have to tell you, I know it's a horror film, but I was unprepared for what I would see. I asked her about it and how long she was in the makeup chair every day. If I recall, it was like originally a three-hour process, and then our prosthetics team, Masters FX, got it down to an hour and a half. Um, so they, they, they worked really hard. There's always two people working on you at, at a time. Um, and I love it. I, oh, do you? Yeah. I love it. I wasn't sure what to expect, but when I saw the, the way that it had turned out and, and what it did to my mood and, um, I, I use that as a tool as an actor, you know, it, mm. it, it only helps me. And, and the more graphic, the better in this situation, we want the audience to cringe. That's what rabbit is. That's what Cronenberg would want. And, um, they did a fantastic job. The only thing was with the way the prosthetic, uh, was placed, my teeth, I had false teeth on the outside, which was basically a mouth guard, mm -hmm. right? So like, think of your sleeping night guard, if you have one, yeah. um, was over top of the prosthetic. So I couldn't talk. I couldn't open my mouth, um, which was great as an introvert. I was just, I got to be in my own world, uh, but we had to take it out at every opportunity we could get because the saliva would start forming because it would just in the bottom of the prosthetic. So every time they took it out, it was, it was disgusting. But it's and part of the experience. Think, people think making movies is glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've had a glam experience on any projects to this date. It's usually just like blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> That's right. Tell me about working uh, with the uh, Soska sisters. Uh, I, the, the American Mary is mm -hmm. an incredible film. Uh, this film has a real point of view. And one of the things that I like about this film is that it, it, it follows the Cronenberg story pretty much, you know, sort of beat for beat. But it is internally a different film because it is more mm -hmm. about, uh, for my take anyway, your character coming to grips with this thing that's happened that she doesn't understand, that doesn't make sense. And, and I think that, that brings uh, a more humanity to a story about someone who, who eats people. Yeah, you know, I think because this, you know, we had female directors on this one, um, the entire film was through the female gaze. Mm -hmm. So there were obvious choices that were made with female directors um, to, to have their lead, Rose, be more empowered with the situation. I mean, yes, she's a meek wallflower until she, you know, has the accident and comes out the other end with these cravings, but if you think of the original and, and the way that women were shot then and, and the sexualization of how women were portrayed versus what we did with the film, which is, you know, the woman was in control and, and the men were trying to use her. And, and, and um, I just love the way that they, you know, Ben Hollingsworth was the lead male actor and he's an incredible Canadian actor. We've known each other for years. And I think this, you know, our directors kept saying to him, don't play your instincts. You know, the, the man's always wanting to protect the woman and, and, and take over her space. And they wanted him to do the exact opposite. I mean, he had to go against all of his natural instincts because they were looking for, to tell a specific story. Um, 
And I think they did a great job. Did you watch the original or is that a detriment to you as you're trying to create the character of Rose and, and walk through your own telling of the story? Would it have been a mistake to watch the original? I, di I didn't watch the entire original. I wanted to get an idea of, of you know, the, the context of what the film was in the 70s, yep, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and just to get an idea of how, you know, Rose was portrayed then. I, but I didn't want to watch the entire the entirety of the film. I, I, I knew what we were doing was different and, and I had that source uh, if, I, if I wanted to go back to it. Um, but, you know, the, the directors were very clear um, in certain parts of the script where they were paying homage to Cronenberg. Mm -hmm. So I knew, oh, we're doing, even though this doesn't feel like it fits, we're doing this as like a nod to Cronenberg right now. Um, like the, the fur jacket when she's out hunting. I mean, oh, yeah. we, we tried to mirror a lot of the images of her her in the bathroom on the floor in the original, we did that, you know, in, in, the, in her dining room, but we tried to match things just so that the, the fans of the original could cheer that on. Tell me more about these meat cravings. It's, it's not just the meat, it's, it's the blood. There's something about it. How's your appetite? I'm hungry all the time. I can't keep anything down, I, I, I have these, your stomach pains. When the pain is too much, that's when the hallucinations start and I see myself. Please. Miss Miller. I'm drinking blood. Tell me about The Age of Dysphoria, which is a short film uh, that you've made, uh, and it's very important to you. It is. Um, so, ready for my heart to just bleed out right now, speaking of blood. Uh, Age of Dysphoria was a film that we shot last year in Toronto. Um, it was directed by Jessica Patel, who's an incredible female director, obviously. And I've worked with her both on Bitten and V Wars. And while we were shooting V Wars, we were doing some pickup scenes. I, I kind of cornered her. And I said, I have an idea and it's a passion project. I'd love for you to direct it. So every moment on set when we had a chance to jump into a corner and chat about this, um, we were building on the idea. And Age of Dysphoria is um, a concept that had sort of come to me over the past few years, mainly based on the fact that I wanted to work with Canadian icon Gordon Pinsent. <laughs> Um, who's been my mentor since I was on Goosebumps. He actually came to my first day on Goosebumps. He rolled up in a golf cart. It's my trailer <laughs> and gave me advice. He's a distant relative, um, the only person I knew in the business. And so he's been my mentor for 22 years and I'd never had a chance to work with him. So I wanted to create a short film about myself as an actor and him. So an, an elderly individual and a 30 something um, girl and I knew I wanted it to be dark I knew I wanted it to be real about human relationships no sci-fi no fantasy just two people trying to figure out life and they're um, joined by a tragedy that has happened in both of their lives but it's very vague throughout the film intentionally as to how they know one another um, and you find out you know Gordon's character has um, dementia, Alzheimer's, 
And so it, it's, it's meant to take the, the audience on a journey of uncertainty until it becomes very clear and it's heartbreaking as to why they know each other. And everything just kind of came together and that never happens. We, we got our sets. Um, so yeah, three days, shot, shot it. It looks great. Um, one of our, we had the person, uh, the, the colorist from The Shape of Water do wow. our film. Um, wow. So yeah, we were about to start our film festival run and you know, that didn't happen currently. Uh, so but what will happen to the film now? Will, will you just wait until we figure out what's happening and maybe do the film festival circuit next year? Or what happens now? Well, it's, it, every festival is sort of figuring that out as we speak. A lot of them have uh, gone to at-home festivals, so you can watch it online. Um, and, and, and we are involved in, um, Super Channel is doing a, a festival now that will be airing for fans. So we will be playing soon on your TVs. You can watch the film. Um, but we still want to have our big Canadian premiere, which would have been the Canadian Film Fest. So fingers crossed we'll get something, um, in the new year. But, uh, you know, it's just... The timing's unfortunate, but at least we're still be trying to get the, the film out to the fans, and we do have the intention of making it into a feature film um, in time as well. Do you think, once all this is said and done, that there will be a difference in the kind of movies that either get made or that people want to see? Do you think that these themes that we must all be thinking about, isolation and anxiety and whatever else it is, uh, will make its way into the work? Um. Yes, uh, I believe actually, now that you say, I think it's CBC has a grant right now for mm -hmm. filmmakers yeah. to do quarantine contents. And that's not necessarily shooting it while in quarantine, but scripts based on the idea of social distancing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's already starting to happen. It's, it's the thing with artists and, and, you know, not just in film and television, but artists in general is these life changes create new forms of art and they get you thinking in a different way. So you're using different colors, not to, well, yes, colors if you're an artist. Um, but yeah, now we have writers creating content based on social distancing. So I think it's very possible we're going to see this bleed into the future of uh, film and television. Last question. Do you have any hand washing <laughs> tips for people? Oh my gosh. Do you, what do you do? What's, what's your, go-to okay here's my thing so years ago when the movie contagion opened uh i i went to los angeles and i interviewed the whole cast and matt mm. damon told me that when most people wash their hands you do this right you're sort of doing you're, you're rubbing your hands together you miss part of the back and your thumbs your oh, thumbs yeah. apparently the way you do it don't really get washed particularly well so ever okay. since then I've been careful to try and cover the entire hand. Yep, and uh, in, in this house with the kids, we're doing three rounds of happy birthday, but quick happy birthdays. Yep. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, I try to get them to do the backs as well. Like I, I don't have any special techniques. I've seen people online doing silly things that, you know, also clean your counters while you're, you know, but I don't, I have nothing. Just freaking stay home and wash your hands. That's right. That was my interview with Laura Vandervoort. You can see her right now in Rabid on VOD, wherever you legally download or rent movies. My thanks to Christian Brune. My thanks to Laura. Most of all, though, my thanks goes to you for spending some time with us today. Hope you're staying healthy. Hope you're staying safe. And we'll talk again soon.